Well, we're back. Very exciting day, and Mike always has this look on his face where we start. I'm not sure if that's a used car salesman look, or um, I don't know what to do right now, or I'm just, I think it's more of I'm tolerating what West Coast Mike is saying as we try to get some substance in what we're talking about today. It's actually that I'm catching up on my sleep while you go on and on starting the podcast. <laughs> Number 59, this is a continuation of the church, how church abuse or surviving church abuse, it really is human organizational abuse. We right. can pick on the church, but it's not just the church. It but really doing is. This, but we're doing this from the context of religion, the church right now, because it seems to be, well, for us, in our world, it's a hot topic, but it seems to be a hot topic across the country as everybody's trying to, you know, wrestle with the political side of that and what that looks like and those kinds of things. So, but it is, it's, you're right. It's a, it's a human problem. It's a human organization problem of power seekers. So we both we both read a lot, and there's d- different <laughs> newsletters and podcasts and things like that 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 occur online, and we read a lot of that stuff. And that it is not really shocking or even distressing to me how many people write such vitriolic, acidic, um, almost mean spirited, intentionally mean spirited things right. about churches and about christianity and about jesus and about christians in general evangelicals you know pop a name in there and there are a lot of folks that are very vocal that are are angry down to enraged right what we would put empowerment at the very very top Mm -hmm. uh about the things of the church which is really kind of what has generated um our series of podcasts it's not just let's point out the problem. I, when I read a lot of this stuff, you know, it is uh, the the church has has uh, mud all over it, and then that's the end of the article. Right. The church has mud all over it. So one of my main philosophies of life, and maybe you won't get a whole lot out of these podcasts, but the one thing to take away is a philosophy of life is I can't do everything. I can't. I understand that, but I can do something, so I'll do that. Uh, yesterday, I was having a a uh, uh, muffin of some kind. It's an Italian thing. I don't know what to call it. It was really, really good at a coffee shop in Brockport, New York, and I got a cup of coffee, and uh, it looked like a place that didn't have a whole lot of street business. It wasn't one of the big box places. Really, really good coffee, and I to, I, to tell you, I can't remember the name of the coffee shop. Uh, but it was really good. And so I was sitting on a bench outside having a cup of coffee in this gigantic uh, flavored baked good. It was deli- It was really delicious. I should ask what it was called. <laughs> and while I was sitting there, a piece, uh, a, a wrapping from flowers, the little, the little clear plastic thing that flower, uh, like a bouquet goes down right. in. It keeps it from getting ruined or whatever. One of those came blowing down the street all by its lonesome, just going down the sidewalk. Nope, there were no other people out walking. I was out walking early. And uh, this this plastic thing came blowing along. I'm not kidding. And it circled around in front of me and stopped right at my feet. It was like a little dog picked me up. 
Was it open? And I thought, well, no, it wasn't an open. It was a it was a flower container. And so I thought to myself, my first thought was, Brockport probably has custodial crews that clean this kind of stuff up. And then I thought, I can't do everything, but I can do something. So when I got ready to throw my coffee cup away, it never moved. So I got got ready to throw my coffee cup away and the bag from the pierogi or whatever it was. Um, I, I reached down, picked up one piece of garbage off the street and threw everything in the garbage can, which is eight feet away. And I thought, it, and it's interesting, there were a number of people walking along the street while I was right. having my coffee, never bent down, picked it up, didn't even right. look at it. Right. So a lot of people just choose to do nothing. Right. Uh, and I can't clean all the streets of Brockport and go through the gutters and find all the thrown away fast food uh, junk that's thrown everywhere, but I can do something. And right. I at least I can do that. And so the right. issue is not how much dirt can we throw on the church? The church right. is a human organization. And one of the things we're not apologizing for, it, we're not explaining it. What we're saying is we recognize the church is full of human beings and human organizations use and abuse power in order to function. Power, we're saying, is neutral. It's not good. It's not bad. It just is. The question is, what does it do to you and what do you do with it? Right. And so if you take power to manipulate others or to hurt them or to set them up as victims, right. then that power is abusive. If you set it up so that people succeed, they're resourced, they are uh, energized by what you're doing, then the use of power is good. And so and so the, the challenge that we have is not just point out the failures of the church regarding its power, but to be able to say, what do we do with that? How do you recover from that when you have been truly wounded? Some people, mm -hmm. they like to be wounded. So they're wounded. Mm -hmm. I'm not blaming the victim. It just, that's a reality. But the, there are people and situations, true wounding has occurred by the use and abuse of power within the human organization that we call a church. Uh, and so the question then is, what can be done about that? We had a challenge that we issued last week. If you wanna look at podcast 58, uh, four words that we offered, we didn't issue a demand, we offered a challenge to try and go through a week not using those words. Using need, should, ought, or must, and we said, try not using those words, but if nothing else, become aware of how often those words are used when they are directed towards you or someone else. Because those words, behind those words comes obligation. Well, and sometimes and the euphemistic we that right. sounds very inclusive. I don't actually mean I'm supposed to do it, but, but we in we, general Americans right. or we Christians or we Methodists or we independents or, you know, we whatever. Uh, right. And what I really mean by saying we is I really mean you. you. <laughs> right. I used to call that the royal we. The royal we, yeah. <laughs> when I worked for, had a great boss. She was awesome. And I'd come in her office and she'd say, well, 
we need to work on this speech I have to do. And I said, oh, you mean the royal we? Because we're not talking about us. We're talking about me. <laughs> and she would laugh, she'd laugh and go, yeah, that's right. Just go get to work. <laughs> when, when I'm part of a group of people at a restaurant, often the waiter or waitress, usually the waitress, will say, so how are we today? And I, instead of saying fine, I'll say, we have polled everyone at this table and all of those who are here are fine, but you said we, so we're going to include you. How are you doing today? <laughs> the waitress usually laughs. My wife usually kicks me under the table. So. <laughs> As she should. Yes, yeah, she should. <laughs> so so how should, are we today? Yeah, so needs should or ought or must. Then in the usage of those words, those words, I would love for us to be able to have real-time dialogue with some folks to find out what they discovered just listening. But let's just... And there's a on. bunch of colloquial words that go along. I've oh, gotta, I yeah. have to, um, I'm yeah. supposed to, right. uh, that, that kind of thing. So there's there's more expressions that you can avoid using need, should, ought, or must. But the... But the, the the tendency in our culture from politicians, from educators, parents, uh, religious people, mm-hmm. anybody who's in authority in any kind of situation who wants to give direction, guidance, or somehow control over other people will have many, if not most, of their sentences using the main verb, need, should, ought, or must. You should do this. You must do this. You you really have to do this. You need to do And need is really surprisingly common as right. the main verb. We need to, we need to, we need right. to, we need to, we need right. to. So the, um, idea, the idea that we issued uh, is to either eliminate that from your conversation for a week or at least be aware how often each one of us, and if you're listening, how often you use or hear need, should, ought, or must. And behind that word is the creation of a sense of obligation, right? a rule, a standard, right. some kind of a demand that says we have established a behavior or a character trait or something that is going to be exercised on your life or in in your life and the question is why we part of this coming out of a sermon series i'm doing in my church right now from acts 15 and the letter that james sent compared to the book of galatians where paul talks about freedom and grace compared to James letter that I think is a response to Galatians where he says, yeah, faith without works really doesn't even exist. And then Paul's response to James with the book of Romans, which is like the nuclear explosion on that. But one of the questions that came up, this is really bizarre, is Paul and Barnabas, if you're not a Bible person, I get that, but the anecdotes and reports are really true to the human condition. Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey to a region in Turkey called Galatia, 
And there's a bunch of little towns in there. There, It's not uh, gigantic cities. And they were planting churches of Christians, which is a few people became followers and gathered together for mutual support. So we're not talking what's the modern church. It was just the collections of people. And they were not requiring the Gentiles who lived there to become Jews first. That is, they didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't have to go to temple down in Jerusalem. They didn't have to offer the blood of a lamb on the altar for their sins. Paul just said, you want to become a Christian? Become a Christian. Just start. Who cares what happened in the past? Just begin. And then something's interesting. There was a council convened in Jerusalem, which is what Acts 15 is about. And Paul and Barnabas were required you need to, you should, you ought, you must appear before the apostles and elders and explain your gospel. Right. And the question occurred to me, who exactly established that group of apostles and wherever the elders came from? There is literally, it's the first time that elders of the church is mentioned anywhere in the Bible. All the elders prior to that are the elders along with the Pharisees who are the critics of the church, right. critics of Jesus. But right. And then Acts chapter 6, that's the last time elders is mentioned. Then in Acts chapter 15, all of a sudden, there's elders in the church who have some kind of presence or position or authority to say to Paul and Barnabas, you need to appear before us and explain your gospel. Who set them up to even be able to do that? And why did Paul respond to that? Paul right. said, okay, I'll travel all throughout the Mediterranean, Eastern Mediterranean world and show up in Jerusalem and lay out my gospel message for you to critique and decide whether it's valid or not. Like, right. why didn't he just say, screw you? I, I know what I'm doing. The Holy Spirit has enabled me to do this. And I mean, Paul, he did. He just said, OK, I need to do that. I'll go do that. And and that just kind of is fascinating. Some Jesus didn't establish the apostles and the elders to have his authority to run the church. That, that doesn't there's nowhere where that's conferred upon that group. And that becomes. How do people get that power? How do they get it in a church? How does that old lady who runs everything and has the church split over the color of the carpet or who served the cinnamon rolls last, how do they get that power right. to run, manipulate, control, destroy people? Who gives it to them? Right. Or who can see that? I, I think that's a huge question. Well, I think I there's... Well, there's lots of things that come to mind as you're talking about that. I, I, I think in a, when we talk about how do these people get control or power, it's the same thing we've talked about within the, the structure of, of when we were teaching in uh, whatever that place was, the baseball, Coopersville, about the aspect is that Cooperstown. This is in New York oh, where baseball. Ball lives. Listen, we are the. You just insulted every person who loves we're, baseball. We're in the last hundred the world. Years. We don't care about baseball. Yeah, Cooper's on. town. <laughs> anyway, we were teaching there, and 
And we talked about the fact is if you aren't, if you're not the one that's influencing what's going on within your organization, someone is. Uh, someone is doing yes. that, and your you your unwillingness to step up to facilitate whatever's going on allows somebody else to take that place. And I think the, the reverse is true in so many settings within structures, but particularly within the church. I, I think that that whole aspect of when we talk about need should ought or must, what one of the reasons why, you know, you and I at times come into a little bit of opportunity with folks that we work with that are supposed to be the people in charge is because we ask, and I, in my terminology, we ask the right wrong questions. And it's not out of disloyalty. It's not out of, of being arrogant or being disrespectful or any of those kinds of things. It is genuinely trying to ask a significant question that they have not thought about because it's much easier just to dictate, do this, versus working through a process to say, wait a minute, time out. Maybe there is something we need to work through here. It's just like what you're talking about in the, in the scripture in Acts 15. And the question is, is well, why did Paul do that? Well, because my mind is, well, because that's what he always was doing. But then when he went back and he saw the outcomes of that, he wrote Galatians and said, uh, okay, enough. I'm not doing this. You guys are nuts because you're wanting it both ways. And you can't have it both ways. So right. I, I, th I think in the church that becomes really an interesting dialogue about scripture is did it actually develop over time with the philosophies or the concepts being worked out as opposed to handed down from God all finished and done? Did they actually have to work some of these things out in real time? And and that to me is where this series that I'm doing Reading Acts 15 and James' letter to the churches, in essence, the brief is, he said, grace is fine, forgiveness is wonderful, faith is a really important commodity, there's just a few small things we want the Gentiles to do. Don't eat meat that's been strangled, don't eat meat that was offered to an idol, don't eat meat that still has a blood in it, juicy steaks are out, and it's abstain from sexual immorality, which was a means of worship back in the first century. So right. James just says, you know, the the we're not giving you gigantic mountains to climb over. It's just some dust. And we want you to be careful to just step over the dust. And and I think when Paul gets to Galatians, he goes, wait a minute, we're we're starting with a layer of dust, but then it's going to be gravel and then it's going to be rocks. And then it's going to be boulders, and then right. it's going to be a solid wall, and then it's going right. to be a mountain. What we're going to do right. is we're going to start with these little things, and then we're going to start adding, adding, right. adding, which is exactly what the church has done in the last exactly. 2,000 years, exactly. culminating in the funeral for Queen Elizabeth was as high church as you can possibly get, with the exception of maybe Christmas in the Vatican. There's nothing else that is such pageantry Right. and protocols and requirements of exactly who does what, how high they lift the Bible, the 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 crown, uh, everything was prescribed. Right. Right. It had to be done exactly as ordered right. how you need, should, should ought, or must. must 
do these things. See, and I think one of the problems that we are running into within, particularly within our frame of work within the evangelical, which I love and call the evangelical industrial complex, the EIC, because so much of what's happened in the church is that we have, we are, we're, we're not anything about what the church, what the church looks like that Jesus, you know, was talking about, but we've become a pattern of marketing and all kinds of things and using the systems of the world to quote unquote, um, make it happen for the gospel because, you know, Jesus really needs a little extra help here by our expertise and being able to do the things that are going to bring the people in and put their butts in the seat and get the money so we can build bigger buildings and we can impact more people. I mean, the arguments go on forever, but the real essence of that and what you and I've talked about many times is that the, the, the problem is not even so much in my mind, the, the ones that are standing up there are the ones that are in control as much as the ones sitting in the pews or sitting in the seats because they're, there were, I think we're, okay, and I'm going to probably get in huge trouble, but we're more concerned about our comfort. And, you know, I don't want to rock the boat and I don't want to upset things because I like the music. I like what's going on. It makes me feel good. The preacher preaches well. He's entertaining. Whatever that is, the smoke, the fog, I don't really care, the show. But we're called to be people who are living biblical lives. But the only way we can do that is that we got to be in the Word of God. And we got to understand what's there, and we got to ferret that out. And then we have wait, to wait, wait. The last four sentences you used was we gotta, we gotta, we, we gotta, we should, we gotta. So, I'm hearing that. So the question then is, why do you phrase things as we gotta do this? Let, let me finish. So the aspect though then becomes where we are unwilling to ask the hard questions from the standpoint of understanding or wanting to understand because it's easier not to. And so it may not really necessarily be easier not to. I think there's something about the established parameters that are pre-existent to my involvement in it. I remember that I didn't grow up going to church. I was a, a nominal, a, a secular Jewish kid my mom was Jewish. My dad was nothing. We didn't go to church. We didn't go to synagogue. I didn't have any religious training whatsoever. I became a Christian when I was 17 years old through the witness of a friend of mine about the person of Jesus, not about guilt, not about laws, rules, right. sin, none of that, none of that stuff. It was purely relationship to the person of Jesus. So uh, I'm sitting in a seat in a little Baptist church uh, on the fourth row back from the front on the left side. Right. And somebody came up, tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're sitting in my seat. Well, that was my first time being there or second or third time, whatever. And I just thought seats are seats. A and and there was this pre-existing expectation that I had violated. Right. I didn't even know it. Right. And and mm -hmm. as I went through the church, that was surprisingly common. People have right. their seat they sit in and no one right. else right. should sit there. Right. And and that becomes where does that come from? Well, there's kind of a pre-existing presence that gives ownership socially, sociologically 
to human organizations. Right. So we join a club. You joined one year before I did. You joined one week before I did. Right. That gives you priority in anything you want to do. If I say, I'm going to use this locker, you say, I was here first. How first were you? I joined last week. I beat you by a week. Like, what? So find your own life. The reality is, in human situations, that actually has an immense amount of sway. Right. Uh, it exerts control over other people's lives. And so you end up with the old lady in the back of the church who doesn't like the color of the carpet, and she runs everything in the church. Pastors come and go. Elders come and go. People are elected to offices all the time. But that lady is the one who runs the church. Why? Because she was there first. Well, and... Or she gives the most money, or right, or whatever. But I would also say we have allowed her that position, whether she's been a bully, or whether she's been passive aggressive, or whether she's done whatever. I don't think it's any different than the guy up front that's telling you, you need, you should, or you ought, you must, where we allow them to take a position of if you will, preeminence in our lives versus lovingly confronting that and saying, wait a minute. But there's a, there's a, the emotional content of this is one of the reasons why I survive a lot of those situations and other people have an extremely hard time because I am not empathetic. Well, and we know that. I know, I'm just pathetic. So I understand that. So when a comment in my long history of doing ministry and service and all, there are situations that I could recount, which I won't do to protect the guilty, of saying, <laughs> we can't do this, or we can't right. play this music, or we can't use that color, right. because it will hurt the feelings of fill in the blank. And my immediate response is, so? Right. So that person has hurt feelings. So, so well, well, we can't do it. Why? Because the person will have their feelings hurt. So the entire organization is stalemated because someone uses their right. perception of right. hurt feelings or their report of hurt feelings so right. that we can't paint anything or change anything or sing a new right. song or whatever the issue happens to be. Yes. Why? Why should the organization be stopped or redirected because some person will have hurt feelings. Why should I not sit in that seat? Because the family that usually sits there and claims that space is going to have hurt feelings or become angry or go home and cry or some, but the, but the, that seems legitimate. So you want to hurt their feelings. I'm not saying I want to hurt their feelings, no. but if the community good is going to be damaged or redirected by someone pulling the strings of, you can't do that, you shouldn't, you need to do something different because my feelings will be hurt. Right. We're very afraid to address that issue right. in human well, organizations. Call it scouting, call it rotary, call it the garden club, it doesn't really matter. We're directing this at the church, but it is a universal human situation. Because we come back to the very issue, and maybe we could pick up on this next week, but we come to the very issue that there is a woefully 
poor understanding of what conflict is all about. And you and I scale both... con conflict down. So conflict is very intense. Confrontation is less. Right. But disagreement is less. less. But that whole aspect contention of... is that higher. There's a whole bunch of words in there right. that go into a flow. There's a difference. There's an issue. You can phrase it, and that and choosing the word is really important. Right. This is a head-butting confrontation. No, it's not. It's a difference of opinion, right. and we're only discussing it right now. Well, the and point, so, but the point being is that regardless of how you put frame the word around that, is that you cannot have change without that taking place, and the the aspect of what we are about is the very thing okay i tend to be a bit more empathetic than you but it it really boils down to to principle as well as common good which really that's what we're called to be if you will in relationship with what we're talking about within the church and when people are being selfish and self-serving and self-promoting and self if you get the word self there then that's a context of which we come into and saying okay time out what are we actually trying to accomplish so that so that becomes really an interesting issue which probably we ought to throw out on the table and then try to remember we're going to talk about this next week All right, and that is what is common good if myself is not the beneficiary of it. That is, let's agree as a church, as an organization, as a fellowship, as a rotary club, as a garden club or whatever, a family, um, here is what will be the common good. And I say, I'm not benefiting from that. So it's not common. Right. And so the question then is, if the only way I can understand common good is it's good for me, <clears throat> now I've skewed the very objective of commonality into a portion of commonality, and we're right back to the original problem. Right. I want things to be good for me. I want to sing hymns while I want to sing. I want colors that I like. I want seats that feel good to me. I want a service length or program length that is um, what I want to be uh, so that I'm not uncomfortable or I'm not inconvenienced, whatever the issues happen to be. Right. And, and so the question then is, how can we develop a common good at which I intend to gain a part, but I wouldn't naturally have a part right. in that benefit? That's a hard thing to think through. Well, let's do that next week, and we'll give that a shot. And I think we can come back and talk some more about this whole concept of how do we actually revive, re come to change through a power structure when a power structure is over covering it all. What does that look like and that dynamic? But I think this is a great place to jump off. So uh, I'm going to encourage you to... Again, this week, if nothing else, observe how much need, should, ought, and must is being used. Either uh, out of your own mouth or, or into your own ears. 
Right. Either way, just yeah. be aware of the use and abuse of need, should, ought, and must. That's right. And then we're going to pick up common good and my part in it next week. Yep. All right. So this is West Coast Mike. East Coast Mike. Uh, we're watching the, the hurricane in Florida right now. That could be old, old news to you. But right now we have no idea what's going to happen. And uh, so we're watching that with a little bit of trepidation. Yeah. You have a guy, guys have a great day. I'll see you next week. Bye.